Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today we are doing unconventional medicine, join the revolution to reinvent healthcare, reverse chronic disease, and create a practice you love by Chris Kresser. Mate, so we heard Chris Kresser on Joe Rogan. Uh, he did two big episodes and it was pretty sick, man. Just a very different take on healthcare. Hmm. And we thought we should check out his book and get him on. Yeah, so in the book, we didn't, we didn't realize when we first bought it, it was probably... <laughs> The audience is probably people in the in the medi- or the medical kind of profession or the health profession. Yeah. However, there's a lot of awesome cream in there. Oh, definitely, definitely. I'd say there's for us it was probably forty to sixty percent relevant, but there's some good shit in here that we'll, we'll dig out. That's for sure. Yeah, and it's definitely unconventional. So it digs into like you know a bit of the conspiracy shit. Which yeah, <laughs> which we love. <laughs> we absolutely love. <laughs> we love the conspiracy. Mate, so chapter one starts with Leo's story, a call to action. He talks about this little kid who's just an absolute little shit. And he uh, basically just always threw tantrums. He flew off the handle whenever there was any change in his life. He basically just sounds like he just ate potato chips and and Fruit Loops and stuff and wouldn't eat any veggies and eventually went to a doctor and the doctor said, hey, take some Adderall, whatever medicine, which worked a little bit, but it caused him constipation and sleep problems. So they gave him another medicine and then there were some side effects from that. So they gave him another medicine and basically just kept feeding him drugs, um, which was just shit ass yeah. <laughs> it's not not a good solution yeah that's it so you know that's what our that's what we'll get into that as well that's what our um current conventional medicine paradigms all based on mm. it's like he says um it's kind of like whack-a-mole we'll have like some kind of symptom for one problem like, yeah. like leo did and then they just kept feeding him drugs and then more problems popped <laughs> yeah. up so then he gave him more drugs and more drugs <laughs> and so forth it's but then not he, good and he went and eventually he saw chris Cresser. And it, it turned out to be something, a, a really simple diet changes. Yeah. So, this whole time he's been taking drugs and he was probably, you know, destined to take these drugs for the rest of his life. But if someone looked at it holistically from the functional medicine point of view and just simple diet changes, mm-hmm. you know, he, he wouldn't have had to have any of it. No, exactly. And that's a, the big difference that, that Chris Cresser talks about. Um, talks about. So, chapter two is from Band-Aids to True Healing. So, obviously, the, the drugs are just Band-Aids, whereas he talks about the true healing. So, he talks about uh, uh, an analogy later in the book or a metaphor about a, a boat with holes in it. And you keep trying to bucket, um, bail water out with a bucket, but more water keeps pouring in and more water keeps pouring in. And one solution is to get a bigger bucket. Uh, but that's not too good. The ultimate solution is just eventually plug the holes and that's mm. what we want to be doing. So he says most people don't realize the sheer scale and urgency of the crisis we're facing. Yeah. We've we've reached this inflection point where we cannot afford to act on a massive scale and he goes into healthcare costs later about you know what's on the horizon. But the action must not come out of the same system that caused the problems in the first place. Yeah. No, that's very true and that applies to everything and that he talks about how insanity is doing the same things over and over. So... Uh, you need a new approach from a new perspective, and, and yeah, and this per- perspective, which he's going to, he's trying to design in the book, and he's trying to like, really cause a revolution in the way, mm. um, proposing this kind of adapt framework, he calls it. Yeah, and this is trying to design a healthcare system that prevents and reverses chronic disease instead of managing it. Yes, offers inspiring, meaningful reward to the doctors and practitioners. Mm-hmm. Uses health coaches, nutritioners, and allied providers, so like a whole team of healthcare providers. Mm-hmm. And reduces the costs of healthcare of governments, organisations, and individuals. So that's the goal of his his framework. Yeah, nice. As you said, he, it's sort of like part book, but also part just call to action to get other people to get behind this this concept. And he talks about chronic disease. So he says it's a slow motion plague 
that is sabotaging our health, destroying our quality of life, shortening our lifespan, bankrupting our governments, and threatening the health of future generations. We cannot afford. We can no longer afford to not take action on a massive scale. And he talks about you know this chronic disease. It used to be. The top three causes of death, like a hundred years ago, were just random, acute, infectious diseases that, you know, like the plague and shit, yeah. <laughs> on a on a smaller scale, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's just seven out of ten are chronic diseases that are just long term build ups as a result of things that we can actually change if we got started earlier. Yeah, that's right. So in the nineteen hundreds or or early, uh, all medicine was based in this on these kind of acute kind of diseases. Mm. So this is what conventional medicine came out of, and this has done some fantastic things for everyone. So antibiotics revolutionized the treatment of infections and trauma, injuries, and bacterial and parasite, um, parasitic pathogens. Mm-hmm. Um, anesthesia made it possible to perform surgery without fucking going through absolutely <laughs> Yeah. And antisepsis, which is like sterile surgery, surgical equipment, um, Greatly increase the rates of survival from, from procedures. So we've got a lot of gifts out of this conventional medicine. Yeah, but some good stuff. But as I was saying, it's kind of like whack a mole. It, it doesn't really help chronic disease. Chronic disease is something that obviously that is is going to be huge. Yeah, and he says that uh, I think we're, are we sort of moving into part two, which was the problem. Mm. And chapter four, he says chronic disease, slow motion plague. He says one in two Americans have a chronic disease. One in four have multiple chronic diseases. He says that the U.S. spends $3.2 trillion on healthcare every year and worldwide healthcare spending is projected to hit $47 trillion by 2030. Mate, that's unbelievable. I don't even know what that number is, $47 trillion. That's, <laughs> that's a lot. So, yeah. It, co- <laughs> it is a lot. <laughs> yeah, it, it accounts for 86% of healthcare expenditure and 99% of Medicare doctor, uh, dollars. Yeah. Mate, it's unbelievable. One in two Americans have chronic disease. Yeah, that's that's a lot. And he says one in three, uh, two in is it two in three have diabetes or pre diabetes. Mm. And twenty seven percent of children now suffer from chronic disease as well, up from thirteen percent in nineteen ninety four. So it's you know undoubtable that it's it's coming. Yeah, and it's it's growing this trend. Oh, definitely. He says if you look at a photograph of people in the fifties and sixties, you will notice that they just look completely different. They're, Obesity was rare, like, mm. and they look just genuinely healthy. Yeah. But today, you look around, and we're kind of used to now yeah. two out of three people just being fucking huge yeah. and fat and walking around with a can of Pepsi or Dr. Pepper yeah. and Pringles. <laughs> yeah. So, he says there's three reasons that we're absolutely destined to fail, that we're just on this collision course. Essentially, the, so the first one is that our modern diet and lifestyle are way out of alignment with our genes and biology. Mm. And he uses this football field analogy, which represents human history. And the first 99.5 yards out of 100 represent our time as hunter-gatherers. And the last 0.5 yards <laughs> represents the time since agriculture was developed. Yeah. And then the Industrial Revolution only came in the last few inches. Yeah. Mate, Crazy. so our, our, our diet today, our top six foods in the American diet, fucking, and when we say Americans, you know, probably the same in Australia. Yeah. But number one, grain-based desserts, bread is two, three, sugar-sweetened beverages, four, mm. pizza, Five, alcohol. Six, chicken. Not like good chicken, but like chicken nuggets. Chicken nuggets, <laughs> which is not chicken. And obviously, when you, when you contrast that to back in the old days, when they mostly ate, ate meat and fish that they'd run out and catch, they'd eat wild fruits and vegetables, a few nuts here or there. There's no Doritos. There's no soft drink. There's no Maccas. There's no ice cream, any of that, mm. any of that stuff. So that's diet. Another point um, under the modern diet and lifestyle is, is lifestyle. And, the, and there's a mismatch between our evolutionary history and our modern environment. 
And he talks about this light and dark cycle that, that all, all organisms have on the planet. Yeah, so obviously we always used to, before there was electricity, when the sun came up, we woke up. When the sun went down and it got dark, there was nothing we could do, so we went to sleep. And that was the, that's pretty much how we've always been and how we should be. But now we've got artificial light, so we can do whatever we want. We work night shifts. And we're basically just always fucking around with our natural circadian rhythm. Mate, people who, say, work in the office, they get up really early. They might leave to work in winter before the sun comes up. Yeah. They probably work till, you know, the Inside, sun goes down. Inside, in the office, and yeah. They don't see... And then they eat their food and yeah. their desk at lunch. Yeah. Don't see essentially any, any sunlight <laughs> at all. Exactly. So, he says this... He gives us three quick solutions here just to this short issue. Don't use electronic devices in bed before you go to sleep because that, that seriously throws your whole... Um, serotonin and melatonin out of whack two avoid doing night shift or if you do work night shift at least do permanent night shift don't do rotating day night and three is get some exposure to bright sunlight before you get to work mm. to wake you the fuck up yeah that's it another one man is is behavior mm. so if, again from the evolutionary perspective we were like these hunter gatherers roaming around hunting yeah. deer fucking <laughs> running away from lions <laughs> today <laughs> today we're just sitting at a desk exactly just you know and they, punching away there's more and more uh info i think coming out that sitting is just so bad for you um you know people say sitting is the new smoking that he talks about he compares like a marathon runner so for there's a marathon one runner who's an office worker so they sit at their desk for eight hours a day then they go home and run 20 or 30 k's that person is at a much 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 higher risk even though he's getting so much exercise because he's sitting so much compare that to someone who's like a manual laborer who's up and about working all day mm, that's it the next one, our environment has changed, but our behaviors have not. So in the past, through evolution, we've been programmed to seek out high-calorie rewarding foods. Mm. Um, so, you know, today, our, obviously, our environment has changed where we can just go to 7-Eleven and get yeah. these <laughs> highly dense calorie foods. Yeah. But eating, so eating potato chips is rewarding, but makes us want to eat more. Because but, we, we grew up in that scarcity of food, there wasn't always, you know, as you say, Seven Eleven on every corner, you can just go and get a packet of chips or a Slurpee. Um, it used to be that, you know, you'd have to go work for your food and eventually get a big kill and then feast for a while. So we're always starved. We're always sort of lacking in food, whereas now there's food everywhere, but our body still thinks mm. that we're lacking. So it always holds on to everything we get. Mate, that's it. So that's the first reason our healthcare is doomed to fail. Our modern lifestyle and diet are out, out of alignment with our genes and how we evolved. Mm -hmm. The second one is we have the wrong medical paradigm for chronic disease. And he calls it the rock in the shoe mentality, whereas the conventional medicine is if someone's got a rock in their shoe and they say they've got a sore foot, the doctor probably gives them an anesthetic injection so they don't feel the pain of the rock in the shoe. Whereas Chris Cresser says, why don't you just take your shoe off and take the rock out and then you're all right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a completely wrong approach. Mm, different. So the wrong paradigm completely. So today's patient has multiple problems, sees multiple doctors and requires mm. multiple treatments. And the big thing here is the, the average appointment is 10 minutes. Mm. And that's pretty much only enough time for a doctor to have a... Not really even listen to him, yeah. but just prescribe something. Yeah, it's like, cool, you've got a headache, take some Panadol. Yeah. Whereas it's not like, oh, you've got a headache, oh, maybe it's because you've got poor posture and your neck's out of whack. Mm. Um, it's just like, what's the main problem and we'll give you some kind of medicine. Mm. So again, it's not the doctor's fault here, it's just the, the, the actual system's kind of flawed. Yeah. So that's the second reason why we're, we're cooked. The third reason why we're cooked is we have a healthcare model that doesn't support preventing and reversing disease. Yeah. So as you say, we sort of need someone who knows 
a lot of stuff or at least you know it's not like you go to one specialist and then they say oh you need to go see another specialist we'll book you in for three weeks later uh it just doesn't make sense it's not uh, it's not effective it's not quick it's just a long drawn out shitty expensive process mm. and one of the big pieces of, of support patients need and doctors need is help give the behavioral changes needed for a lot of this mm. And yes. at the moment, it's, it's none of it's based on behavior. It's just based yeah. on what drug can I just... Yeah, <laughs> it's just all short-term, um, fix the problem as quickly and easily as possible. There's no long-term actual fix addressing the root cause. Yeah, that's it. So, man, the next part of the book is part three, the solution. Yes. Which is good. Yeah, that's what we, we want, obviously. We <laughs> yeah, so, he said, so there's three bits. So the paradigm shift, uh, a bit of a, a realignment, and a collaborative model. So, functional medicine, um, so the ADAPT model he's providing has three elements. The first one is functional medicine, which is preventing and reversing rather than managing chronic disease. Mm -hmm. Um, Number two is an ancestral diet and lifestyle, which reflects how we evolved. And three, a collaborative practice model where they're all teaming up, doctors, coaches, and and, um, you know, dietitians and everything. Yeah, nice. So, the first one is this functional medicine um, that we've sort of been touching on as we go. But he he's got a, a like a diagram like a bullseye concentric circles. The very outer ring is the signs and symptoms. The next one in is diseases and syndromes. The next one in is pathologies, and then the very middle is exposome, genome, and epigenome. Mm. So basically, the conventional medicine starts from the outside, works their way in. They probably look at the signs and symptoms, and then they get to the diseases and syndromes. That's pretty much where they stop. Yep. Whereas functional medicine says start at the absolute center and slowly work your way out. Mm, that's it. So the center is kind of like a root cause, which you you, you kind of need a bit of digging to get there. Yep. But there'll be some kind of um, cause that causes the disease and symptoms. Yeah. And then at the end causes what's the disease and syndromes which causes the signs and symptoms yes exactly going from the inside out as opposed to the outside in i guess a few quick definitions a disease is defined as a disorder of structure or function that produces significant signs and symptoms whereas a syndrome is like a group of signs and symptoms that go together so he Mm -hmm. says like irritable bowel syndrome is or restless leg syndrome you get a whole bunch of stuff going together whereas a disease is like Alzheimer's disease, rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah. Um, and then signs versus symptoms. Signs are objective, so things that a doctor can clearly see and um, diagnose, whereas a symptom is subjective and it has to be told by the patient. Yeah. So if you get to the very core, like the very root cause of the, a lot of the problems, what, what's happening, it's a combination of your behavior, environment, diet, lifestyle, air, water quality, toxins, social environment, family environment, and so on. So these are the very core roots of mm. a lot of the problems yeah nice and you move out a bit again you got pathologies um which is uh such as things such as gut infections parasites bacterial infections and these are the things that form the diseases and then now we're at the disease level where the the, the pathology the environment causes the pathologies and the pathologies causes things like type 2 diabetes alzheimer's celiac disease arthritis and then the next outering on the circle is the signs and symptoms where you know, you've always got headaches, you're always hungry, you're always thirsty, um, you know, cholesterol, all that kind of jazz. Yeah, nice. So another part of um, this functional approach, he talks about being patient-centered versus doc, uh, doctor-centered. So if you see someone who believes in the functional way of uh, medicine, if a patient wants to overcome chronic disease, they must shift their behavior. It's on them. It's not on the mm. doctor to, to cause a solution. It's back on mm. the person and they get to take some responsibility for why they're fucking... 
130 <laughs> yeah. kilos. And- yeah, and it's important to take some control rather than just saying the doctor saying, here's the drugs, take these and you'll be fine. You've got to actually make some lifestyle and dietary changes, not just Band-Aid approaches. Mm, yeah, so the conventional doctor will... So the patient will see the information passively and go, oh, you know, oh, uh, help me, help me. And then <laughs> they just get... <laughs> <laughs> and these pills get thrown out. Yeah, exactly. They're on fucking yeah, description, description drugs the rest of their life. Yeah. Chapter nine, he, said, he talks about there's a misrealignment um, matching our environment with our genes. Yeah. And he talks about we need to go back to this ancestral diet and lifestyle. So as you said, you know, 10,000 years we're living one way and then in the, just the last, you know, not so long, last, I don't know, couple hundred years, we've gone agricultural revolution, industrial revolution and completely changed all the things that we sort of talked about throughout. So we need to sort of somehow get back in touch. Our genes haven't evolved as quickly as our environment has changed. So we need to take a few steps back and get yep. back in touch with the old school. And Chris loves the paleo diet, but he he knows, you know, paleo diet gets a lot of shit. Yep. But he says, don't look at it as if at like what they ate because there was a lot of different paleo thick cultures all around the world mm. and they, some had a high percentage of meat, some a high percentage of sweet potato. So they're all kind of different. But it's a better paradigm to look at it, what they didn't eat. Yes. And what they didn't eat was the top six food sources I yeah. mentioned earlier. Pizza, all that, beer, all that shit that, chicken. That didn't ex- pretty much if it didn't exist 100 years ago, if, it's, if they've just made things like Pringles and ice cream and stuff, it's, it's probably, it's probably yeah. not good for you. But I like how he says that he follows pretty much a, a paleo sort of diet, but he hates you know, paleo because it has got so much stigma attached and so many fucking idiots uh, who are just pushing it too hard or don't really know what they're talking about. They just grab a few headlines and try and push that on people. Um, whereas he says, you know, it, most of the stuff they're saying is good. They just do it in the wrong way. Yeah. So chapter 11, as we're closing up the book now, regarding evidence. So a lot of people, when he presents his case of functional medicine, people go, oh, there's no medicine. There's no evidence for this kind of stuff, Chris. But um, he says <laughs> many people don't realize that conventional medicine, a lot of the... the the peer-reviewed research and things like this are pretty flawed as well in the first place. Yeah, oh, definitely. And uh, and part of his um, part of his solution in terms of the actual treatment uh, of applying this functional medicine stuff we've talked about is the collaborative model of having smaller uh, mi- he calls them micro practices. So not like a big doctor where there's twenty doctors in the room. There's 100 people in the waiting room and they're going in for 8 to 12 minute in and out, in and out. He says you need you know, independently operated micro practices that are lean, they've got longer appointments, limited patient count and true connection with patients and true healing. That's so it's it. obviously like a, it's a utopia, but we need to be heading more towards that direction. Yeah. Mate, just an interesting one on, on, the, on the evidence side of things. He says there's been occasions where a researcher falsified a lab test to hide a patient's impaired kidney and liver function so they're doing you know falsifying test data that went the into fuck? peer-reviewed research <laughs> on chemo on two chemotherapy patients or something mm. on, the, on the the new drug they were testing so one person died from this yeah far out. the researcher was sent to prison but in the, all the studies in the peer-reviewed research this wasn't mentioned once this was completely hidden and even though there was court documents with the falsification of data that's crazy now there's a massive um the issue there, I think, is a misalignment of incentives and also that most of these, this research is being funded by pharmaceutical companies mm. that obviously want their research to get through. They want the researcher to say, yeah, this drug's good so that they can start selling the drug. Mm. And obviously, if someone dies from it, that's probably not good for sales. Oh, totally. Man. <laughs> so. That's a good um, segue into the next one as well. So if a bunch of studies 
that were all peer-reviewed research, so-called. Um, another person went out there and tried to replicate the results with the, the same conditions and the same kind of studies. So it was peer-reviewed. You'd think it'd get the exact you know, same kind of output. Mm. But they found that 75% of them could not be reproduced. Oh, Jesus. So, that's, mate, 75% of the research. That's high. That's extremely lot. high. <laughs> um, and another study of cancer research found that only 11% of the preclinical cancer research could be oh, reproduced. Jesus, that's fucked. 11%. Um, <laughs> that's extremely low. Um, mate, some other, other issues is that insurance companies uh, are the ones paying for all this healthcare. And really for insurance companies, it's not in their best interest for you to get healthy and stop paying for insurance. So they, they, Chris says a bit conspiratorial is that uh, they want you to be less healthy longer term yeah. so that you have to keep keep paying. Well, they get paid by people being unhealthy. Exactly. So, yeah. so did the pharmaceutical companies. So again, it's the, the incentive misaligned. Yeah. Um, and it might be a bit of that corporate structure. So maybe listen to the corporation yeah. and our interview <laughs> yeah. with Joel, Buck, Joel <laughs> Kevin Bacon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So in closing the book, man, the transition, he says, all truths pass through three stages. And this was by a big philosopher who said this, I forget who, but first it is ridiculed, second it's Mm. violently opposed, and third it's accepted as self-evident. Yeah, nice. And then that reminds me of, I don't know if if it was in the book or not, but about um, the guy who uh, talked about germs, um, the germ theory about how doctors, if they just... um, done an autopsy on a dead body and they go to a woman giving birth and the baby dies or the or the mum gets an infection he's like maybe there's like these invisible things that we can't see that we're transferring from the dead body to the person and basically he got locked up for being a, a crazy person um, and that's sort of the first stage of what you say is of um of being ridiculed and violently opposed until eventually people realize maybe there's something to it and they realize that actually if we wash our hands, yeah. um, then people get less infections. Mate, unfortunately for a lot of these kind of dudes, they're violently opposed in their lifetime and then they yes. die. And then exactly. 100 years later, they don't see their... <laughs> <laughs> they would have been absolute kings. <laughs> exactly, man. Dead by the time it's up, yeah, except it's self-evident. Just died in prison. <laughs> <laughs> poor bloke. Just get burned at the stake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. By um, the church or something. <laughs> so, yeah, man. Unconventional medicine... Good book, man. There's, there's some cream in there. If yeah. I think if you're a doctor um, and you're in the conventional medicine, I reckon have a read and cha- uh, open up yeah. join perspective his, join, a little bit. Join um, Chris's paradigm because a lot of these kind of things, it's it's probably reading this book, it's an inevitable trend that it's going to have to turn toward function, functional, which is yes. the conventional way. It's it's not working. And the, the cost we, we mentioned earlier, that's also a trend as well. So with the conventional system, I think it's going to be a very high proportion of GDP just mm. managing these chronic diseases. Yeah, it's crazy. And we've got an crazy aging population and everything. So it's, yeah, it's, only, it's only getting worse. <laughs> it's only getting worse. So get out there and get, get functional. Yeah, mate. So we'll speak to Chris, get a bit more info. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, get a bit of conspiracy out of some, some good shit to say. Yeah. Herb quit smoking with Chantix and support. Talk to your doctor about Chantix and a support plan that's right for you. Some people have had changes in behavior, hostility, agitation, depressed mood, and suicidal thoughts or actions while taking or after stopping Chantix. If you notice agitation, hostility, depression, or changes in behavior, thinking, or mood that are not typical for you, or if you develop suicidal thoughts or actions, stop taking Chantix and call your doctor right away. Talk to your doctor about any history of depression or other mental health problems, which can get worse while taking Chantix. Some people can have allergic or serious skin reactions to Chantix, some of which can be life-threatening. 
If you notice swelling of face, mouth, throat, or a rash, stop taking Chantix and see your doctor right away. Tell your doctor which medicines you're taking as they may work differently when you quit smoking. Chantix dosing may be different if you have kidney problems. The most common side effect is nausea. Patients also reported trouble sleeping and vivid, unusual, or strange dreams. Until you know how Chantix may affect you, use caution when driving or operating machinery. Chantix should not be taken with other quit smoking products. The urges weren't like they used to be, and that helped me quit. Talk to your doctor to find out if prescription Chantix is right for you. 